All right, so we have been in a series called Masterpiece in Progress. Thank you for that gracious coffee that you just saw, but I drank. And if you're feeling jealous, you should. You can go get you some if you need some. Um, We've been in this series going through the book of Ephesians, and part of what we're learning is that none of us are always the us we intend to be yet. We are in progress. God is still working on us. And we have kind of a, a key thematic verse that we've been kind of using as a lens And I'd love to read that with you guys. It's from Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10. And this is from the New Living Translation. Let's just read it together out loud because I think that's a good practice. And it doesn't matter if you're perfectly in unison or not. Let's all do it together. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Some versions say so that we can do the good. We can walk in the good that he planned for us long ago. I I love that this whole thing has to do with a journey. And here we are on a journey. We're two years in with Wayfinders. And can can you believe it? It, I, I can't believe it. I sometimes get stunned that there are people here at all. But we, the church, have been around for two years, and in two years, we've launched a second church in San Marcos. We sent like 20-something people down there to help launch that. We have baptized 23 people. We have had hundreds and hundreds of faith decisions to either follow Christ or make a, a step in the journey of faith with Christ. There have been some amazing stories of love blitzes where someone who was on their very last leg was just randomly blessed by our flash mob style blessing and saw their bills met and got enrolled in school and had the footing to take what is next. I'm thinking of three specific people whose lives are changed fundamentally because we said, you know what, I I don't know how we're going to bless them. Let's just get after it. And so we sneakily showed up and we blessed them. We have seen some incredible partnerships with other ministries and other people and nonprofits and organizations that are doing good from the school that we meet in to other partner schools that are under-resourced to other nonprofits that are pouring into the marginalized in our midst. But it's not just like marginalized, it's also us. There's this weird thing that has started happening because we're wayfinders where, like, we actually really like being around each other and, like, eating with each other and showing up at each other's things. This week, uh, I got to help some people move. I got to support a bake sale. I got to, like, I was invited to, like, 17 different events. And I'm like, all of this is fantastic stuff. Why? Because you're my people and I'm your people and we are wayfinders. And so we exist to help people find the way to life with a capital L, to a life with God that is empowering, that is changing. We, as a church, are in the midst of becoming masterpieces. And it's not 
it's not a, a, about the, the numbers or the figures. It's about the stories and the lives that each one of those numbers, each one of those figures represent. That's you and that's me. We're flesh and bone. We are wayfinders. Can everybody just say that? Uh, we are wayfinders. Can we just say that out loud? I don't know. It's like a prayer and a declaration of praise all at the same time. So on the count of three, we are wayfinders. One, two, three. We are wayfinders. Man, I love that. God is making masterpieces out of us. And where our church is headed, I think, is some, some just some amazing things. We want to operate with integrity and low overhead. We want to maximize each and every one of us serving our gifts and our wirings, not uh, pushing people or pigeonholing people, but allowing people to come as they are on their own timetable, with their own scale, and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform each and every one of our lives. And when that happens individually, something happens with us together. And we're on the path towards um, what I would consider sustainability as a church, where maybe, just maybe, as we get into our next series coming up in March, um, we might start praying together about what a semi-permanent facility might look like and what other like really cool ministries or opportunities that a space would allow us to do stuff during the week to serve the people of Kyle, be it in the business community or families or kids. We have opportunities left and right because Kyle has kids on kids on kids on kids. In fact, we um, as a city are in the top five in the United States in terms of uh, lowest number uh, of average or median age, however that works. I'm not sure which one of those things, but we're like, we're way down there um, in terms of we're young. So God is on the move and where we might be headed in terms of who's next and what's next and who can we invite into this process is all happening and it's happening fast. When I blinked, it was two years. And so I just want to say thank you for being a part of this because God planned it long ago. And I just, I'm just now discovering that. And it's like a moment of joy for me. So thank you for allowing me to be in some joy this morning. So um, we read Ephesians 2.10. And we've been in this series going through the book of Ephesians kind of verse by verse. But we've been thematically working through the entirety of the book, and what I love is the shift now into chapter 4 through 6 gets a little bit more practical in terms of spiritual application about how you and I can lean in and learn how to become the masterpiece that God has envisioned each and every one of us and the church that God has envisioned us to be. So it's a little bit less theory about the nature of who God is and a little bit more about what God is doing in us, um, which for some of us is like, you know, finally like, yes, something I can attach myself to. Um, and so here we go. We're going to be jumping into chapter four today. But before we get into the scripture, I don't know if you knew this about me. I love comedy. 
and I love really good comics. And uh, Holly and I's favorite comic is a, a comic named Brian Regan. If you ever have the chance to uh, just watch him, he's brilliant. But he's got this one joke in particular that hits home with me. He talks about the day that he went to the emergency room. And it starts out with this, like, how uh, weird it is to call an ambulance for yourself. Like, hey, uh, yeah, can, can you come get me? Like, how that works. And so he decides he's not going to take the ambulance. And he gets in the car and he's driving. And, and you know, of course, when you're in a hurry and hurting and in pain, that's when people just can't figure out how to merge. It's never when you have time, right? It's, it's when you're in a hurry. And, and, and so he talks about that experience and winding up the, uh, you know, the parking lot because if any place ever needed valet parking, it's the emergency room, but they don't have it. And so here, let me just circle up the parking lot levels. And, and he finally, he, he walks in. And this is this this is the best part for me. He walks in, and you know you you walk into the checkout counter, and they hand you a clipboard that you're supposed to like fill out information. And the lady hands him the clipboard, along with this question, which seems rather in, indignant. She said, "Well, what seems to be the problem today?" You know. Well, it seems that my insides want to be on my sides and you know and he's going through like appendicitis or some sort of stomach trauma but it seems that my insides want to come on my outsides as if like you know she's trying to find a nice way to say you know what is it that you need help with but when you say what seems to be the problem as if you don't really know what's happening with you so what seems to be the problem and it, it just I love that line it seems that my insides want to be on my outsides because eventually, what's inside, what's in my heart, what's in my spirit, what's in my soul, what's on my insides makes its way out into my actions. It's, a, it's always, always, always true. So I, I think it's important for us to keep in mind, here's how we operate. You have an, uh, an identity, an ID, a, 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 a value structure, a place inside you that says this is who you are and this is what you value. And it shapes your actions and your rituals. We automatically lead our lives from that identity and value system. Um, and then depending on what happens, what the results are with our actions and rituals, they either will be reinforced or there will be room for reinterpretation. I'll give you a silly point and then we'll turn it into what's happening psychologically and spiritually. Uh, a silly version of this would be, I really value kissing my wife Holly. It's something I value. Um, I'm not sure where she stands on it, but I value it. And what I know about that is I, there's zero chance of me getting a kiss if I don't brush my teeth. So because I have this value, right, I have this action of brushing my teeth, which gets reinforced because the only time I get kisses if I have good breath. And so um, that completes kind of this cycle. Now, if she were to kiss me in spite of not brushing my teeth, 
it might leave some room for reinterpretation to that value system, okay? Now, that's a very silly, crude example, but I use it because it's easy to make sense of. What happens, though, is if I operate a certain way from a certain value. So if I said, God believes this about me, insert whatever it is, good, bad, or indifferent. If I said, God believes I'm enough, and then I act out with how I care for others because God has empowered me, then all of a sudden my actions are coming from this thing, and it might get reinforced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to reinterpret or reinforce the reality. In fact, in John, when Jesus is describing what the Spirit does, he says the Spirit guides you into all truth. And so that's where the Holy Spirit does heart work and soul work. But if I believed I wasn't enough, right, that God believed that about me, it might change the way I act towards other people. I might start ripping them down so that they could be on my level. I might start seeing them as less than because I'm operating out of my own insecurity with where I stand. That, too, can be reinforced or reinterpreted. So we operate from the why or the value system that we have from within us. Now, somewhere in you, in each and every one of us, somewhere in us is the true us, the true you, the true me that God has in mind. And when we find it, we stop acting for others' approval. We stop acting out of insecurity, and we start walking exactly as we know we should. I have a confession. I am a people pleaser. Anybody else a people pleaser? I, I never thought I was because although I'm not the firstborn in my family, I'm a firstborn male, and I have all the other characteristics, but I really, I like ensuring that people are happy and people are happy with me. And sometimes I operate out of a place of insecurity. And so what I found is while this cycle is true, often whichever voice is telling me the loudest is the one I tend to operate from. And if it's not the true voice of the Holy Spirit, I tend to listen to whatever's loudest. So what I have to do for me is I have to put my actions and my rituals and the way that I act, sometimes I have to put them differently than what I believe so that I can eventually believe the right thing. I have to create space in my life, this margin where I pray and read the scripture and reinforce who I am from the Holy Spirit or I will give the loudest voice in my head the most attention. So I have to create the space where the Holy Spirit's voice is the loudest. The truth this morning for us, as we get into the scripture, is for you to be the you, for me to be the me, for us to be the church that God has in mind, we have to discover the true us that God calls us 
and act from that. This is the hard work of following Jesus to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are and whose we are so that we can act accordingly. So uh, I've entitled this morning's message, Take Your Name. Take Your Name. Um, Let's jump into the scripture. We'll start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen for you. You can follow along in your message notes online at wayfinders.info, should you like. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. By the way, those last uh, three verses there, where God is the one Holy Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, those three verses are the original creed statement when they baptized people. That's what they would say. Verse 7, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Okay, let's jump into this passage. First off, verse 1, you have been called. You have been called. God is calling You, specifically, we as a people have been called child, loved, redeemed, restored, chosen, his. I could keep going down the list, but we'd be here for a few hours just reading the promises that the scripture tell us of how God sees us. So if you're listening to a different voice, you need to get in God's word to restore your eyes to the voice of God as he sees you. We have been given a specific grace. By the way, that's verse 7 that says, when each of us has been given a special gift, the word for gift there is the Greek word charis, which is about grace, right, and life. We've been given a special gift, a wiring through the generosity of Christ. We have been called by God. Isn't it interesting how names stick Anybody have a nickname that you got because of that one accident that you did in the lunchroom while you were in high school? That was your nickname for the rest of three years? No, nobody? Names stick. Sometimes they're not the right name, right? Sometimes you get pigeonholed. It's that thing you're good at at work, and so people see you as one-dimensional, and they give you a nickname to stick you with that dimension, There's a line that I hear often, a name that we, we often just name ourselves without even thinking about it, um, and I, I hate this line. I, I, I am just the way that I am, or this one, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know how you just defined yourself? A sinner. You know how you just defined yourself? Less than what you can be. 
Those two things are not true in those statements. Yes, you might be where you are, but where you are today, the person that you are today is not the final you that you can become or are becoming. So let's redefine this because grace isn't to be reduced down to a get-out-of-jail-free card. Because here's what happens. A lot of times when we, when we talk about taking a faith step and we hear this good news that God loves us and chooses us, then we accept it and we stop there and we don't allow the grace to change us. And so we use it like a get-out-of-jail-free card as if the ultimate goal in life is to get to some other utopian place where we don't have to deal with the challenges and pressures and issues and sins of right now. It's very misguided, and it sells the sacrifice of Christ on the cross incredibly short because he didn't die for you to sit in your struggles, in your sin, or in addictions. He died so that you might be set free. He died so that we might become. And so we are in the process of becoming and the name that he has called us matters. It matters. And so Paul says in this verse, right, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. It's not so much about what you do so much as it is about who you are. Because what you do I'm not talking about your job right now. I'm talking about what you do in life. What you do comes out of who you are. The who you are always makes its way to the surface. So when Paul says lead a life worthy to your calling, he's asking you and I to take our names given to us by God. Here's the thing that's pretty cool. God's not waiting for us to get our life together or to go get ourselves clean or right. He's calling you right now in the midst of whatever mess and whatever place you find yourself. And I love what there's an author that I love. His name's Leonard Sweet. He wrote this. He says, when you falter or fail or fall into old habits and holds. Remember this, your very desire to please God pleases God. Your deeds may flounder and fall short, but sometimes your sheer simple desire to please God is enough. I love that statement. Your desire to please God pleases God. See, God's working not on all of the actions. That's like symptom management, right? If I only treated the symptoms for your illness but not the actual illness, you wouldn't ever really get better. And so God's actually working on the heart, on the identity, on the value system, the place where all of those actions come from. Which is why, <laughs> which is why verse 2 is so difficult unless you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and which is why verse 2 can't be done without verse 3. Should I read them again as a reminder? Here, I'll do it because I need it. Always be humble and gentle, being patient with each other, 
making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. How many of you agree that if we just got this one verse, our world would be drastically different? If you want to, like, something to memorize and spark your imagination, just this one idea lived out would be game-changed. But if you are anything like me, you find yourself not being humble or gentle or having patience for each other's faults, especially if you feel like you are becoming. I can do it. Why can't you? Anybody else deal with this attitude creeps up sometimes? What's your problem? You can't even merge lanes. I got road rage, right? That's not just road rage. Like Making allowance for other people's faults can sometimes be really difficult. What I found out when I'm able to make allowances for other people's faults then I don't make room for my own. And sometimes I don't make room for their faults because I don't want to deal with my own. And so if we're going to become the us that God has in mind, if we're going to become the church that we actually love first and we genuinely do life together and we live out God's story for, for who we are, if everybody is going to be welcome because God's grace is for everyone everywhere, but if we're going to be intentional about how we allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and transform our lives, if we're going to allow his voice to be the loudest and practice this thing, because how many of us have been in fights and this would have stopped the fight immediately, right? We would have been full of God's grace and mercy in the moment. The reason why this is impossible without verse 3, look at what verse 3 says. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Those are strong words like uniting and binding. Those um, are like welding. They're permanent. They're, they're like welding words. I just find it so interesting that a lot of times when we become Christians, we try to just muscle up and do the right thing without actually being empowered by the Holy Spirit who is helping us to do the right thing. If you've found yourself trying to follow Christ and trying to do it on your own, it is a very, very frustrating place to be. Um, there's something in psychology called the familiarity principle. And if you're not, uh, if you're not familiar with that, <laughs> I don't know how that just works. The familiarity principle is this idea that we tend to try to find groups of people that make us feel safe. So eventually, we end up with groups that uh, we think somehow we're either right on par with or we're just slightly better than, right? Because then it's a safe place to be. It's, it doesn't hit any of our insecurities, which is why a lot of our 
neighborhoods end up ghettoized, right, rather than uh, economic disparency or socio-political disparency, we end up kind of with a similar mindset. And what I found out through years of doing ministry is I would present, like, youth camps. We would have, I don't know, 500 kids there, and we would have college kids there, and we would have adults there that made tremendous faith decisions to change their lives, and they would go back home, and they would say, oh, the camp high wore off. The decision I made for Christ didn't stick. Well, it's the same reason why our decisions to go to the gym don't stick. It's the same reason why when we're facing addiction, we have to do things differently than we have before because our identity and value system cause our actions and rituals to behave a certain way, which then reinforce the idea that we're okay. Do you see how this is a cycle? That's essentially the familiarity principle with this idea that we'll congregate with people that are look like us, feel like us, make us feel okay. And what I realized is, while that can be a really good thing, sometimes we need to break free of that. And so this verse about uniting with the Spirit and binding ourselves together means I've got to be so powerfully welded that whatever familiarity principle kept me where I was now gets shifted, and so the familiarity principle actually becomes how I am with God. I'm so familiar, I'm so connected, I'm so ingrained with the reality of the Holy Spirit speaking into my life that I no longer fall back into those old cycles because here's what happens. You get home from camp. You're around the same people. All of the sudden, all of those same thoughts, all of those same triggers, all of those same ideas, all of those same systems are at work reinforcing who you used to be, not who you're becoming. So you and I have to break the familiarity principle and allow us to shift away from what is normal. By the way, making peace making room for each other's faults, being humble and gentle, what about our society says that is normal? Not much. And so if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, if we're going to be the people God has called us to be, if you're going to be the you and I'm going to be the me, then we have to do the things that no one else is doing so that we see the Spirit move in us. And that's going to take some intentional effort to bind with the Holy Spirit. Um, in the next few weeks, I, I'm going to start getting kind of some very practical tips on how to do this. And uh, I'll post about it online and I'll send out an email. But I've been challenged in my own life to do the Daniel fast. And so I'm actually going to be doing the Daniel fast. I'm going to start in two weeks. And I'm going to do 21 days. And if you've never done it, um, I'm going to invite all of us to jump in, if you'd like, for some version of that. Uh, so we'll keep going. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called, 
So there's one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. You and I are the living, breathing flesh and bone of the resurrected Christ. Verse 7 says, however, he has given each and every one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris stood here, and as he was speaking, he used a line that hopefully stood out to you. The thing that I'm a part of is bigger than the part that I play. Does anybody remember that line? It's a killer line. The thing that I am a part of is bigger than the part I play. But the part you play matters. The part you play matters. So each one of us has been given this special gift, a special wiring, a special personality, a special way of doing things that is you. You're not someone else. You're you, right? And we are different. And so while all of us want unity in the church, we want peace in the church. Um, By the way, unity is more along the lines of we're sure where we are all headed together. Unity is not uniformity. Okay? Unity is not uniformity. Let's jump all the way to verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, most version reads shepherds, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's a bold statement, that you and I can be mature, measuring up to the standard of Christ. Son of God, you know, creator of all things, sustainer of life, healer of all. You can measure up to that standard. This is a huge, like, it's bold. So when he says, um, throw back up verse 11 there, Gordy. These are the gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, We're going to use shepherds and teachers. We call it the apest, and I believe we have a picture of that, all the The A-P-E-S-T don't stand out very well. But um, A-P-E-S-T. And the idea is that somewhere in your DNA, your wiring, you have one of these five-fold pictures that God wired you not just for you and your benefit, but to use that personality trait to build up the church, to build up the people that make the church. And so if you're looking at wayfinders.info in the message notes, there's some big descriptions of that. But apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, um, shepherds, and teachers are are what they are. And really quickly, you are probably one or two of those, but not the other ones. I'll give you, for me, I am an A and an E. I'm an apostle. And I'm an evangelist. Evangelists are those people that, you know, doesn't matter what it is. If they think it's awesome, they're telling everyone about it. 
You should go to this restaurant. It'll change your life. That's an evangelist. Um, whether or not the restaurant changes your life is not what it's about there. Actively wanting everyone to experience the goodness they are experiencing wherever they find it. An apostle is a little bit different. A, a, an apostle, um, especially with the church, what it does is um, they extend the gospel. They innovate. They go places. They do things um, in new ways to bring God's good news to new people, to see things operate differently in our world. And so an apostle is always looking for a better way, right? If you're that person who's like always tweaking how your house is or the way your furniture gets set up, you probably have some apostle in you because you're looking for a way to change that. Now, prophets, on the other hand, um, you ever had somebody who loves to call out what's right and what's wrong? Is that you? Like, what I love about prophets is they keep us centered, right? Prophets love to be on what is right and true. They, they know God's will, and they're particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. Now, all of these places also have a downside. You know, like every personality has that big strength, but the strength also has a weakness to it, right? So if we're not careful, um, you know, each of these has other things in it. So pastors on here is not like pastors in the way that, like, I get called a pastor as the leader of the church. Pastor on here is more like a shepherd. So if your wiring is to care for people, right, to do soul care, to see people who are in a tough spot and want to do something about it, to come alongside and make sure everybody's safe and everybody's secure and everybody has warmth and connection and embrace, that's a shepherd. They're very protective people, too. They don't want anybody coming in and destroying that. And then teachers love to understand and explain. They love to communicate. And so no matter how you are wired, somewhere in your wiring, if you took the test for this, you are one or more of these things. You're typically not going to be all five, and you might be more one in a season than the other. But the reason why this is important, scripturally speaking, it is important because we are not the same, and unity is not uniformity. You get to be the you God created you to be. So the number one picture that we get to uh, describe is for you to ultimately embrace that, to listen to the Holy Spirit, you have to get an understanding of who you are. And when you know that, when you know who you are and whose you are, how that gets played out, it will get played out into every part of your life, every one that you interact with. And according to Paul, what happens is, because we do life together, you actually build up someone else where they're weak. And they build you up where you're weak. And your benefit is for them, and their benefit is for you. If we're looking at a body, somebody's a pinky. And while a pinky may not seem as significant as, uh, you know, a brain cell or whatever, without each other, it doesn't work as the body, yes? So... 
the part you play matters, but the thing you're a part of is bigger than the part that you play. Finally, guys, we're going to be responsible with grace. And here's what I mean. Paul mentions all of these gifts given by God, by the grace of God. And he reminds us that their purpose is to prepare God's people to serve. Yet, he warns all of us to be sure to grow in their character by walking in humility, gentleness, peace, and love. You know what I found out? We tend to focus a lot. We tend to focus a lot on gifts and talents rather than on character, which deserves the most attention. And when our character is ready, God will give us the grace for our gifts to grow. Here's the big idea here, guys. God calls us to grow so that we can use our gifts for his glory. You are in process. When you choose to be responsible with God's grace and mercy and goodness, with the how, each and every one of us will use our gift to lift others up. That's when we know we're on the right track. Because the you that is you is for the benefit of others in God's kingdom. And we may be tempted to compare gifts. Anybody been tempted to compare gifts? Well, I'm not that. And I'm not that. And they're not this. So we tend to like put a ranking system on that. Anybody else? Right? And you know what happens when you put a ranking system? You start labeling things with a name that isn't God's. Instead of taking your own name, you begin to label the others. And so rather than comparing where people are on the journey or what their gifts are compared to yours, we're going to call that out as wrong. And we're going to say our maturity is measured not by our gifts, but how we love God and love others. Listen to how it plays out, and we're at the end, so I'm going to invite the band up. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced by people trying to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, this is bold, it's underlined, it's highlighted in my notes, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's like he's weaving together a tapestry. Around you on your seat is a piece of cloth. And I want to show you a, a masterpiece. It's, it's called the Tapestry of Tunai. And it pictures the passion of Christ in different sequences and scenes from the Stations of the Cross, all work together in this giant tapestry. 
It's huge. If you don't know anything about the way tapestries work, there are vertical lines and there are horizontal lines that are woven together in between each other. But what your eye sees is only the horizontal lines. The vertical lines are, in effect, invisible because of how they are run. Each line by itself can't make a picture of what God is doing in the picture. It's just one little strip of cloth. But when they're all woven together, they make this masterpiece of a scene. And the same is true for you and I. Around you on the seats are strips of cloth. If you don't have one, I'd invite you to reach to a seat near you or in front of you or behind you and grab it. Like a puzzle piece, these all came from the same piece of cloth. They're all each unique. But if we were to weave them back together, they would be bigger, more sturdy, and create a different picture than they did in the beginning or by themselves. That is what God is doing in us and through us. If this represents your life, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a part of the masterpiece. And it's shaped a certain way, and you've got a certain thing that is just yours. And when it's woven together with the other pieces, it displays the glory of God. Church, for you to be the you that God has in mind, and me to be the me God has in mind, and us to be the church God has in mind. We have to get connected with the Holy Spirit to remind us the truth about who we are so that we can act accordingly. We have to uh, use our unique wiring with other unique wirings, making space for each other's faults so that as we weave together as the church, we create a beautiful picture of what God is wanting to do in the world. Now, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you think, I could never be made into a masterpiece. Maybe you've never trusted God to do that. Because your identity, your value system, the way that you see yourself, has been told something very different. Not that God loves you or desires you or gives you special gifts that makes you you. Not that you are a masterpiece in progress, but that you're unworthy or unloved. Simply isn't true. 
the God of the universe said so when he said, over my dead body. And he left us the Holy Spirit, his very presence. When we allow that voice to be the loudest, we will be empowered to become. So my second question is, is the Holy Spirit's voice the loudest voice in your heart or not? We're going to sing a song. We sang it earlier, but it's called Who You Say I Am. And I just want you to hold that piece of fabric as you stand and think about, do you see yourself the way that God sees you? And if there is anything that needs to change, to be reevaluated or reinforced, would you ask the Holy Spirit to do that? Let's stand.